Hello and welcome to this uh, second edition of the Mad Tech Podcast. Um, coming to you live from the ExchangeWire studio. I use that term loosely. What that means is the ExchangeWire HQ meeting room. Um, I'm Rachel Smith and I'm COO of ExchangeWire. I'm anchoring the session today because we've let Lindsay Roundtree go on holiday. Um, here in the studio with me, I've got Kieran O'Kane. Hello. ExchangeWire CEO. Hello, hello, Kieran. Hello, it's great to be here again. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Glad you can make time I did, for I it. I tried last week. busy schedule. Yeah, I wasn't very good last week. Well, that's, I spoke too much. Yeah, you did talk too much. Yeah, that's normal. And this week it's a shorter sort of podcast, so don't worry. Forty-five minutes. Kicking off with a lot of talking, though. Right. Uh, and uh, and and let me introduce our guest, which is uh, Paul Gubbins from Unruly. Hello. Hello, Paul. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And we have a guest appearance today from Paul Snubbins. He's coming in <laughs> later on into the actual podcast. <laughs> No this mention. is the uh, Ad Exchanger podcast, right? Oh Ad my, yeah. What the fuck is that? Descending already, okay. <laughs> right. I like Paul's numbers better already. <laughs> Raining this back in. Okay, so um, let's kick off with um, a couple of news items as our listeners will hopefully be coming, getting to grips with. This is uh, this podcast an opportunity to have a bit of a chit chat about things that are in the news or that have come up in the news in the industry over the last week, and then and then we'll move on to um, fire a couple of questions specifically at Paul about what he's up to at Unruly. So, kicking it off, I want to talk with a few. The first item I want to talk about this week is that um, obviously the whole industry will be aware of Brian O'Kelly's departure from AppNexus, which was announced late last week. Um, Ad Exchanger broke that story and published the letter that Brian Lesser sent to all of his employees at Xander outlining what that new structure is going to look like. Um, so Brian's departure, Brian O'Kelly's departure, probably won't be that much of a surprise to people, but I'm just really interested to know what the two of you think about what he's likely to move on to next. He's obviously a big um, industry figure, um, someone that, you know, I think back to the early very days. very big. Which, yeah, <laughs> yeah, tall too. I think back to the early days of Exchange Wire events and, you know, Brian was on stage, I think, at what, the first, the second ATS London? And so, you know, here we are a long way away from that. And I'm just interested to know what you two think he's going to be moving on to next. Well, assuming he stays in the the kind of mad tech sector, I don't think there's any shortage of issues that he could try and tackle, right? Yeah. Um, He's certainly got the domain knowledge. He's got the product knowledge. um, He's got the ear of the street. um, He's extremely well respected. um, So I'm, I'm super excited to figure out what he's going to go and do next. Brian O'Kelly is probably the greatest mind of our ad tech industry, bar Boris, obviously. I'm glad you said Boris and not uh, well, you. <laughs> well, not me. I'm, I'm just a bullshitter. These are doers. Uh, I think that Brian O'Kelly uh, didn't want to sell uh, AppNexus. What, what I, makes you say that, though, Kieran? Uh, How are you so confident about this? Because because Brian O'Kelly, like Brian O'Kelly, is a man who 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 wanted to take on Google and Facebook, particularly Google. He felt he had um, a product and um, a company that could have taken Google on, and I don't know. I just get the sense that he didn't he he didn't want to sell to uh, to uh, AT and T, hmm. and that would make me think that he will take some time off and come back with some next gen sort of project. Whether that's an and what do you think that is an ad server? Do you think there is a need for a you know well, a, a, a true challenger to, to some well, of the uh, well, well, existing like, vendors? So like Google just has the run of the f- the run of the country, like you know, like nobody can touch them in, in the ad server space. It's really hard to keep an ad. Yeah, but that's ad, because it's a good product, right? Publishers uh, aren't going to use something that doesn't work for them. Buyers uh, aren't going to use something that doesn't no, work for them. So not, it's, it's, no, it's, it's a question no, of no, is there a is there no, a scout alternative that's not true. to use? That's not true. Google's got a good product, but it's not a great product. It could be a lot better than it is 
they don't have to try because nobody can challenge them, right? Google, and we know, Google and we know. supports their business by their massive ad network and their massive demand and supply business, right? They effectively allow this. They're giving away for free. Yeah, but Kieran, Kieran, why, why then, for the last six or seven years, have VCs been funding DSPs hand over fist? Why hasn't more people gone out and built ad servers? If, if you're telling me there's a need for a viable alternative, yeah. why don't we see more investment? Because why don't we see more smart engineers yeah. building ad servers? Because it's hard. I was going to say, it's, it's really, really hard. hard to support, right? I mean, look, look at OpenX had an, an, an ad server, and I think they still do, but they ditched it in favour of their SSP business because there was more margin in it and it was less uh, of an engineering... Um, I'm not saying that SSPs are, are less complicated, but I'm saying it was much more easier to run an SSP than an ad server business. Mm. Um, well, uh, I think, look, if you look at the, the evolution of the way publishers are monetized in their inventory, if we look at the evolution of head of bidding and unified auction, I think if there is ever going to be a point in time when somebody comes along and builds a next generation ad server that can look at all sources of demand yeah. and manage that holistically in real time. You can't do I that in DFP at the minute. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not talking about what you can and can't do in existing stack. I'm talking about whether or not the time is right now right. to mm, get investment and to, and to build... A, a new equivalent of something that's worked extremely well for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, and Brian O'Kelly could be that person. Right? I think he'll wait He'll wait until the right opportunity. So if we look at trends in the market, right, companies that have first-party data are winning hands down, right? So Amazon, Facebook, Google, mm-hmm. anybody who's got logged-in data, any first-party data. So I think he'll wait until there's an opportunity. Like, So, you know... There's there's a lot to get excited about blockchain, for yeah. instance, right? So blockchain at the minute is being applied by the wrong in the wrong ways, but the promise of blockchain around decentralizing the web is really exciting. So maybe like I think he wait like he's he'll wait. He's got enough money to sit on, but he'll be back. I, yeah, but- I, Brian O'Kelly's a man who, who 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 I don't think he's in it for the money. Per se, I think he's kind of a man who's spoiling for a fight and to prove a point. Well, and also he's which a big makes him ad- the most interesting person in ad tech. Well, that's also he's a big advocate of this notion of independent ad tech, right? Yeah. So you know, I guess that's what was interesting about yeah. the acquisition is that we were all, particularly here in Europe, thinking, okay, what happens next? Because yeah. we know AppNexus have really been the kind of brand behind the notion mm. of independent ad tech. So is this Brian's opportunity to kind of come out? All guns blazing, yeah, but, building but, something new and different. But yeah, but again, right? Hope, hope, sorry, Karen. Hopefully, you know, we're not going to just see the reinvention of existing technology. No. Yeah, we, yeah. we spend it's very little time new. talking about the Internet of Things. Mm. Um, you know, mm. out of home, there mm. is a whole pl- plethora of different opportunities mm. that mm. that are ripe for disruption yeah. at the moment. And I just don't think any of those areas are being tackled by anybody that has deep domain expertise. Well, certainly, a, certainly from what I've read recently, anyway. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things like unique IDs and all, and and uh, you know, big bigger bigger like uh areas to to focus on like you know so he'll come back with something but you know at the end of the day the ad server is still a vital part of media public uh, media monetization mm. on the web on the internet like but do you so, think it's just quite boring product is that why more people don't build? what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> i'm in my incubator building an ad server it's a it's not that sexy, is it? It's not sexy, but it's no, but it's really important. No, I agree. But the best, the best companies in the world are, are really boring companies, you know, in many ways. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Nothing wrong with being boring. <laughs> I am um, very boring. <laughs> today. Okay, so we wait with bated breath to see what 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 Brian's gonna bated what Brian's gonna indeed. do. What Brian's gonna do next? Okay. We should have a Brian O'Kelly countdown clock. Oh well, we should definitely. I the think run clock. a bit of a wager. What the fuck clock. Well, it's not going to be a mobile wager. ESP, is it? Oh. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the second story that I wanted to discuss with you guys, which is uh, came out in the media, I think, today or yesterday here in the UK. Yesterday. 
today, right, thank you, uh, that um, Johnston Press, uh, the publisher, has put themselves up for sale and uh, they're stating that um, part of the challenges that they were facing is a decline in um, traditional and also digital uh, advertising sales and that they've got uh, something in the region of £220 million worth of debt that needs to be repaid by mm-hmm. sort of June or July next year. Yep. So they're obviously in a really, really, really challenging position and now they're looking for a, looking for a buyer. So I guess what I want to know from you guys is some general thoughts on that because it's big news. You know, they're a really important uh, sort of local and regional publisher here in the UK and they've got some really important well-known titles. And what, what can ad tech, ad tech do to help? What, what's your, you know, perception of what ad tech can do to provide some potential solutions here? Well, I, th- I think historically, right, there's always been that debate as to whether or not ad technology has disintermediated publishers from their audiences. Mm. I think there's been a little bit of truth in that, mm. right? If you if you look at what's played out in regards to finding audiences on the long tail and publishers not being able to really monetize their users in a meaningful way. Um, I think post the evolution of GDPR and consent management platforms, it's really empowered premium publishers again. Um, so if you look at um, Johnson, I mean, press isn't dead. Quality journalism is far from dead. They've still got um, some fantastic titles in that stable. I think the iNewspaper is still profitable. Um, so it's not doom and gloom as many of the trades would, would have us to believe. Um, but to answer your question, I think leveraged and harnessed in the right way, certainly ad tech and martech can really empower publishers to take tighter controls of their audiences. And again, it's not just GDPR this side of the pond, it'll be the California Consumer Privacy Act in the US as well. I think smart publishers are in the best position they've ever been in. Uh, Yeah, so I don't think it's a question of ad tech. I think it's a question of the the legacy model they've all, they're all still carrying around. Like print is dying uh, a slow death and they're carrying quite a lot of costs. So whether it's, you know, I don't know much about Johnson Press financial situation, but like 220 million in debt to service that debt is quite a lot, um, particularly when their advertising business is really dying. But I suppose that there's, there, like, journalism is journalism. And, there, and Johnson Press is a particularly important uh, newspaper type, uh, um Group because they have so many local newspapers. They've got like the, the Scotsman, I think. The, yeah, yeah. They've, they've, they've got the Yorkshire Post. They've got some real pillars yeah. of publishing. But, and again, it's, local, not, it's not that press is dead, Karen. It's no, no, the, I never yeah. said that. No, but it's the no, con- you it's the consu- print. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think yeah. it's the, the consumption habits are changing. Yeah, it's right? true, but I, I don't think that you know, in, in an age when when uh, um, we have a very confused um, political environment right now. The local newspapers are a good way to keep manners on politicians, local politicians. I completely agree. Mm. And they're really essential. And it's kind of sad to see this happening. But I don't know what's going to happen to John's Press. Maybe they get bought by a bigger company. But then is it just inheriting another issue? Do they have to sit down and think about what is our model? Like, do we have to maybe close some title or, or print, print down? But then again, that's kind of like you're kind of flushing your money away then because they're actually making money, but not enough to sustain the rest of the business. So it's, I think it's more. I I genuinely think that ad tech can empower, especially these amazing uh, um, publications um, around yeah. first party data. But it's not. It's not. We can only help them so far. It's the actual legacy business they're dragging around, which is a problem. And I think Washington Post and those guys in the US are a yeah. prime example of a, a fantastic publisher and a premium news publisher that's mm. obviously super important when it comes to the political landscape and mm. the wider news landscape but have um, been super smart when it comes to the application and deployment of yeah. either proprietary tech or third party tech yeah, they've but licensed. Washington Post got 
bought by uh, uh, an e-commerce sugar daddy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I mean that's. But don't have a the successful New York Times is a great example. An example, example of how smart strategies by publishers. Uh, can exactly, because technology. don't they have a subscription service alongside their Correct. ad-supported yeah. service, and, and and it just means that they've got diversified monetization, yes. you know, yeah. models, and 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 maybe that's exactly what you're referring to, Kieran. Um, is that you know they need to really look at their at their strategic approach here because, mm-hmm. like you say, Paul, it's not that the it's not that you know Johnson Press is going to go under it, so they're looking for a buyer because yeah. they realise that now the time now's the time to act. Things are getting a little bit chaotic yeah. and and they're at crisis point. Right. So it means set, big changes from here. But if the owners can turn that business around, who else can? I mean, what happens if a private equity company comes in, buys them, just loads more debt on them, uh, which is what private equity companies generally do, leverages them up to the hilt. Because they're borrowing the money on on the balance sheet and putting it on the balance sheet, and it's you know I, they're I, a publicly I would, listed company, right? So so you wouldn't think that anyone's going to come in and buy them under any set of circumstances without some serious strategic plan in place for turning that turning that business around. And they've already declared, you know, that it's their traditional and digital advertising model is uh, revenue. Sorry, is declining. So right, someone's well, got to do digital, something. The digital revenue is that's a worry. If that is actually declining, then that's a real worry. And I suppose there's a bigger picture when you say ad tech is disintermediated. You're, you're probably uh, referring to Google and Facebook who have literally just eaten up their uh, local uh, ad revenue. Yes and no. But I mean, as a you, you both know me pretty well. I'm a massive advocate of ad tech and programmatic and how it empowers those on both the buy and sell side. But there's no getting away from it. Premium publishers have been disintermediated, certainly before GDPR due to the ability of those on the buyer side to find audiences at scale in the longer tail. Um, before the advent of programmatic, you had to call a publisher's direct sales team. You paid for quality journalism. You paid for quality context. And that's how publishers made their money, empowered their news floors, and that's why they were thriving businesses. Um, so, again, I think ad tech has been a little bit guilty of disintermediation of quality news brands. But with things like GDPR and controls that now publishers have in place, it's put them back in a driving seat. And that's why I think all of these privacy initiatives are fantastic for journalism. Mm. Because it empowers them. It no longer disintermediates them. Mm. Um, I was just thinking about um, how... I don't know enough about Johnson Johnson Press's business. Um, But it feels to me that they should probably enforce something like a, a, a kind of a login... Into their into their publication, mm. and that would be a really good start. And then you've got a unique ID then to target against, and their, their yields will go up. I think that's potentially a, that's a good that's a good start because then that's not that's not a paywall. That's kind of like a data paywall. If you yeah, agree. Like. And and that that's a challenge that lots of publishers have always had. They haven't really had the ability to harness or extract first party data mm. at scale. Mm. And you know that that is that dichotomy of do you put up a paywall? Don't you put up a paywall? I wouldn't put a you- paywall. For local news, but if you have like to be honest, you, people want still want local news, and so why not get them to log in? At least get that data, build a DMP in the back end, and then basically sell it in a programmatic way. Mm-hmm. And the agency would buy, and Google and Facebook would buy that all day if we have, if you have a unique ID, like you mm-hmm. know, because at the minute it's just a blind contextual. Uh, no, no, buy no, in many ways. I, I agree, Kieran, but at a time when um, big news publishers are, are desperate to make sure there's no disintermediation again of their audiences or or blockers no, you, to somebody consuming their content, you have to look at the data maybe that they have in hand that, that illustrates to them that asking somebody to log in is a step too far yeah, when you've got somebody that's looking for snackable content, they're on the move. Uh, there it, there no, are pros and cons of these no, particular strategies. Well I, well, I agree with that. I, I would say that local news is still... It, um, uh, an essential part of people. If you live in a local area, you want to know what's course, going on, right? Schools, or f- local sports teams, local events. 
it's really important to know what's going on in the community. I though. agree. Well, it's anyway. probably, you know, I mean, clearly they need a tiered strategy, right? They need to be tackling, you know, a number of different things. It's not going to be. We could have a whole conference on Johnson Press's strategy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 let's, but, but, Karen, I don't think it's, sorry, it's, it's not an issue that's isolated to those guys, right? It's, no, it's, it's a, a big problem. That, it's a challenge that many publishers are facing at the moment. And um, again, I think you've hit the nail on the head. They need the ability to understand more about their audiences and to go kind of full circle. That's where ad tech enables them to do yeah. that. But it's about smart deployment and smart strategies yeah. outside. Yeah, yeah. Well right. said. <laughs> Paul Snubbins would have a clue with that stuff. <laughs> Whoever that guy is. It's not me, by the way. M- moving right along. Um, so, yeah, let's let's move on to the final news story uh, for, this, uh, for this session, which is focusing on um, streaming services. So there was a bit of news that came out this week about some US media companies launching new stre- streaming services. So that's New TV launching a new short-form content streaming service, which is aimed at the 25 to 35-year-old market. Then there's Warner Media launching a streaming service focusing on HBO um, content and other AT&T-owned films and, and, and TV. And then Apple uh, launching new Apple TV digital video service, which is also going to be housing original content. And we were chatting about this earlier on uh, this morning in the office here at Exchange Wire saying that this just feels like it's creating an environment where there's an oversupply of streaming services in the market mm-hmm. because, you know, how many how many subscriptions can can one individual, one household, yep. one family sustain? Are are people getting tapped out? Do they feel like they've got to make some choices between between streaming services yeah. and, and subscriptions? So I want to know what you guys think about that and whether you think any or all of this is uh, a sort of a push to developing ad-funded models from within these media companies? I, I personally think we're going to see more. Um, if you look at... More streaming services. Correct, yeah. Mm. Well, well, more DTC plays. Um, right. If you look at the decline in potential paid-for television and people thinking about their strategies as to whether or not they license content um, to third parties, i.e. somebody that can distribute it for them, or whether or not they feel that that is disintermediation to them and then they want to go and activate their own D- DTC strategy... Will that then increase more um, streaming services? What I mean there is people like Disney, for, for instance. Are they going to take control of all their content and just go direct to the end consumer themselves? Are they going to slowly shut down some of their licensing agreements? I don't know. But depending on what panel you listen to or what, what you read in the trade press, it sounds like they're some of the strategies that are currently playing out. And if everybody takes the same approach, that is in itself going to create more um, fragmentation mm. and the end user is going to have to log into more apps to actually consume that content. Uh. I, I it's, it, this is an interesting one because I think there's a couple of people, a couple of firms that could do it. Um, Disney's a good example. AT and T is probably another example. Anybody with a, a video library of content, and Netflix is obviously on deals with everybody, and it's got its own content studio. But it's not for everybody. I mean, I'm, I, I I've currently got four or five um, subscription models going on. Not my own, obviously. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Well, funny enough, I've got uh, Gaelic football, uh, which I pay a hundred Not a quid. surprise. Um, I've got uh, Now TV, uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and uh, I subscribe to the Major League Baseball as well. But Kieran, it's only like ninety dollars. <laughs> don't they, ask you why. I just love baseball. Are they all active subscriptions, or are some of them like you know bundled into no. a smart TV? No, no, okay. they are separate subscriptions. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. I I think that there will be some at some stage some fatigue around this, right? People just don't have well, endless amounts of money. There'll to be keep, households you know I mean? that don't have no, the money no, to support. Uh, those but, but it'd be interesting to see. 
um, what the sports guys do. So, like in the US, Major League Baseball, mm. National Hockey League, they all have their own specific um, uh, streaming yeah. service, right? It would be interesting to see what happens next in the next couple of years around the Premiership, right? Or uh, in the individual football clubs. I think, well, I could actually have a whole DTC, yeah. uh, uh, like what, what my how many Man United fans are there globally? You know, tens of millions. And imagine if they signed up for like that's that's revenue into the uh, into the pockets yeah. of. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how Major League Baseball, uh, MLB.com does its uh, rights with the local TVs. Rights, yeah. I think they've got their own streaming service, but they have local uh, terrestrial TV uh, um, um, deals. But it'll be, it, it will be interesting. I, I, I think we are going to hit a threshold in terms of how much more money people can pay for stuff. Because, like, you know, it's, it's not people's... Uh, People's amount of money they have to spend is not is finite, it's not right? Infinite, yeah. It's finite. But then, do you think then we we see that kind of cap out? You've got maybe a Comcast, you've got a Netflix, you've got a Disney, do you, or, and do you think collectively between those vendors they will own ninety percent of the the kind content. of yeah the content and mm. rights? Mm. Otherwise, to your point, the average consumer or the average millennial isn't going to have fifteen different apps that they pay for on a regular basis. So they, I mean, those is it. I don't know, skinny bundles, and I suppose they give out a carrier charge for yeah, yeah. whatever, whatever's on the uh, whatever. I don't know, even though that, mo- that economic model is interesting. I don't know how, where, like, okay, if you're, if you're the one streaming channel that rules them all, right? Um, are you sharing some of the subscriptions with the channels that you carry onto the thing? Good well, question. And then exactly. it's absolute depends sk- on probably who owns the content yeah. as well, right? <laughs> so, who's producing the content and paying for the content, and how is all of that, mm. how is all of that? Um, you know, being fanned out. And I think the other thing is you'll start to see perhaps more targeted solutions, right? So, you know, that new TV yeah. sort of service is quite interesting because they're specifically targeting an age group. Mm-hmm. So, the mo- so the more that you start to get some potential data from what you know people that are subscribing to your service are watching, then the more there is the possibility for, I think, you know, smaller, more defined services to be popping up and for people to, for people to you know, want to just look at snippets of content. So, are you potentially advocating if we're saying that people are going to be um, stretched in regards to their budgets and the amount of apps that they can afford? Are you saying there's a potential there for a data value prop, whereas the end user gives up potential rights yeah. to data in order for free content? Yeah. Uh, but so it's, it's ad funded. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, right, if you're a millennial these days, and even myself, if somebody said you can have Netflix for free or Amazon for free, um, if but, you they, watch ads. But, but they need to know what you're browsing via IP, they need to know what you're watching, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. That's a value prop that I can, it's quite tangible to and me. I, I, I can sure, understand it. I'm sure lots yeah. of people would be prepared to and undertake and that. And this is where the advertising piece comes in, right? So there's a company in... Um, in the US, I can't remember the name, they're like a weird name uh, video streaming service, right? And Netflix had done a load of deals with all the Hollywood studios, but then they started fucking off everybody because they started making their own films, which competed with the studios. And this company went along and said, look, I will give you 90% of all the ad revenue off the back of this. And I think there's a play to aggregate like, and and it's like, it's like a DTC player. There could be thousands of OTT uh, streaming services, right? You could be into fishing or you could be into fucking dogs or whatever. Uh, not dogging, obviously, or something else. <laughs> Good old video <laughs> face. I do not know how we got there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, but you I'm could not be, involved. You know, I'm leaving. I'm accepting off. no responsibility no. for so, that line. So we get back to head a bit. Can we, can we stop talking about it? But I'm saying there could be thousands of these channels, right? And it's almost like a... Det- it could be an interesting play, right? Because let's just say that 
if you take the the DTC model, right? You build an audience on Facebook, Google, programmatic, right? It's your audience around that specific niche. And then you aggregate content and bring it in and basically trade data access to content and run ads into it. Yeah. I think that's I, where I, ad tech has a real real yeah. role to play in this. I, I agree. I mean, again, I'm I'm by far uh, a TV expert, but I, you know, three to four years time, I think everything's free. Um, it's all DTC. Um, and the value prop there is your data that you give up yeah. for targeted ads and all of the content that you want is there on any device that you decide to consume in within your connected home. No subscriptions? No. No, no, there will be... Interesting. No, there will, no, no, there will so be... It's a, it's a bold prediction, but... Yeah, no, why, yeah, why, yeah why you heard you? it here no, first. There will why, be why subscription models, hey. There will be. Um, okay, I, but I think, Kirino, they're going to be massively eroded and you're only going to have to really subscribe to yeah. if you really want to see that boxing match or you really want to see, you yeah. know, Oasis reformer again, you know, I'd pay whatever it may be for that particular gig. But the point I'm saying is general studio stuff. It's millennials are going to expect it for free. And they don't care about targeted advertising yeah, because pay- that's 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 the world they're growing up in. And they can see the value prop of watching a 30 second ad or a 15 second ad or a six second ad. So long as it's tailored and targeted, I think people are going to be prepared to watch that to get their next episode of Silicon Valley for free. Yeah, I, 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 do, I agree with that to a point. But there will be services. There'll be cle- the, the way Amazon's using Prime is quite interesting. You know right. I mean? well, they, they, be they cle- and and Apple right? as well. I reckon Apple will come up with a product that basically locks in their, their slave enslaved uh, user base because that's what they are. Any Apple users out there, you're all slaves. Tim, Tim, uh, I, I just was yeah. waiting for you to descend into the Apple rant. Oh, actually. I, hate Apple. I, I knew that was uh, coming. Another company I hate. That's the second one I hate. Uh, anyway, uh, but I still I think your laptops are great, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd be interested to see. I think there'll be like, I think there'll be a few subscribers. The Disney stuff, anybody with real strong brands will have it, but the majority of OTT or streaming services will probably be free. And I, I think your idea, you're you're right about the um, the ad supported stuff because that's a it's good because that then distributes um, um, the power away from the big the big sort of yep. players because then you have a really yeah. unique audience and you can sell, sell yeah. that on a programmatic you, you've basis. You've got to remember as well, I, I know we're talking about different generations and different demographics, but people have fundamentally grown up with advertising around television. Yeah. People, it's an environment where people expect ads. I mean, look at the Super Bowl, for instance. Yeah. One of the biggest televised events in the world and advertising is almost as important yeah. Yeah, it's as the actual event. It's certainly an event Correct. within itself, right? It's the event within but, but the people, event. People, it's not, it's not deemed disruptive in the same way that other forms of advertising is deemed disruptive. People expect it within those types of environments. So, I mean, again, my prediction may be way off, but I think three to four years' time, majority of OTT content is free of charge. You heard it here first. So it's going to be a lot of interesting models. I think. I think. I think if you're if you're an ad ne- if you're an ad network now, right, and your IO business is dying its arse, I would be looking at potentially, but getting a niche, right, an aggregating audience, and then basically doing content deals with content producers. And building your own OTT play. What about what about? I think the, I what, think that's a really. What, uh, look, as as Ari Power said once, a, a thousand ad networks will bloom. You could have a hundred thousand ad networks yeah. bloom, like you know. Okay, what about a credit system in the um, home of tomorrow? So the more data I share, the more hours of you and I've built up, and then I can watch a certain amount of shows based upon the information that I've given via my IP address to a particular company. Um, that then is used to serve back to you targeted ads. So it's like an electricity meter. I know that I've got four hours left in my free view at the moment because there's four hours of data on me. What happens if you run out of data to share? Correct. You have to go and generate some more page impressions. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Bangladeshi bot firm. 
<laughs> that sounds like a fascinating world. Right, we're going to move on from this segment because we're running out of time. Um, Are we? Yeah. We no, we can talk for hours. 25 yeah, we're, minutes. We're okay. Oh, 25 yeah. minutes. What have we got left? 10. Here we go. You didn't see. I can't believe there's no beers in here. This is an added. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. For, and frankly, they needed on? because well, how, yeah. how, how hot and steamy is it in the Exchange Wire podcast studio? It's very warm in this here. This is a custom made studio. <laughs> uh, you know, we put. Made to put people under pressure, literally, in the hot seat. Um, uh, yes, we're running out of time. In that, I want to move on to the next segment, which is. Uh, a bit of a Q&A between Kieran and Paul. Um, talk a little bit about, Paul, what you're up to at Unruly um, and uh, get your perspective on a couple of industry things. Cool. How many Fire fake, away, Kieran. How many fake Twitter accounts do you have? Not I, enough. I, I, a hundred. I believe that's a gauge for how popular a man is. I just was about to say, personally, Paul, I would be very um, flattered if I I am you. flattered. What do they say that um, uh, imitation? Thank you is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, and, and anonymous accounts are assholes <laughs> anyway because they're all hiding behind them. So, Paul, uh, in terms of where you're working right now, yeah, really interesting company. Uh, um, independent, but now was independent and now is owned by News Corp. Is that right? Is it News Corp or News? Yeah, no, Corp? no, it's, it's that's right. It's uh, owned by News UK. Who News are, UK, are, yeah, who are owned by News Corp. Right, and uh, how does that work then in terms of... We were talking about Johnson Prince there previously. How yep. does that work? Do they work in tandem? Is that a good sort of fit then for, for you know, that company to, to bought on really? Absolutely. I mean, it's a fantastic time to be on really. Um, they've been through several iterations and we're still a very, very large video ad tech company. Yeah. Um, so we still have a large managed media part of the business right. where we go out and service all of the opcos. We're partners with um, all of the major agency groups. Yeah. Um, we've got a large direct sales team that go out, understand the needs of our advertisers, and, uh, you know, we manage the deals, we optimise the deals, we leverage our data sets to, to deliver campaigns. Yeah. But the growing part of our business is really our um, exchange business, Unruly X. Um, so it's a very large video ad exchange, um, working with some of the largest advertisers in the world to provide that scaled, brand-safe, real element to the video inventory landscape that we constantly hear is under threat from fraudsters and, and what, bad practices. What are you selling? Are you selling outstream, outstream in-stream? Correct. So um, outstream was at the core of our strategy, but increasingly we're being asked to service other ad formats as well. And that's, that's what we're doing at the moment. So um, it's not just outstream, it's also in-stream also. Okay. Um, and, and in terms of, sort of the, the company itself, uh, because it, we've had this conversation more about differentiation and ad tech, right? Yeah. And there's been a couple of um, articles written about the, the recent sort of um, index debacle yeah. and, and what they've been accused of. Um, and then there's been a sort of a folder conversation around the wrapper and all the rest of it. It just feels to me, and you've been publicly, you've publicly said that some ad tech companies don't have any unique supply, don't have any unique data. Yeah. Uh, and the tech is very much commoditized, yep. even unique demand. So, in terms of sort of how, you know, this was not a question about it really, but in terms of uh, how a, a, an ad tech company now stays relevant, what yep. do they need to do to do that? Is it all about managed service now from all these guys? Or, no, no, I think, or, I, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that managed service execution is still a very large part of the UK digital. Um, ecosystem. Um, not every single agency group has yet transitioned to be 100% programmatic. Programmatic execution 
isn't right for every single publisher, for every single advertiser, for every single KPI. Yeah. Um, so Unruly as a business, we still execute um, campaigns via insertion orders because that's what our agency partners are asking us to do. They want access to our service layer. They want access to our optimization. They want access to our campaign reporting. Um, but increasingly, the growing part of our business is our exchange. And more and more agencies are asking to access the unique supply that we have. That unique supply may come from News UK, who owns us, or it may come from publishers that sits within our verified marketplace that we created. Um, that's a collection of some of the largest news publishers in the world, people like The Guardian, The Telegraph, um, the News UK properties. And they access that in a kind of open exchange way, a PMP environment. But increasingly, we're seeing people ask to execute on a programmatic guarantee basis. I was about to ask about that. Yeah, and, and I, we, we kind of see that as the real convergence of um, hand-sold programmatic, which is managed. Um, which is just at, based for listeners out there. That's just the I.O. Yeah. Yeah. So, so effectively, right, my school of thought here is, and, and kind of I'm really school of thought is, PMPs haven't really given agencies the environment to transition all of their budgets into programmatic in a controlled way. But it's um, been very difficult and cumbersome and... and, and, and correct. You, and like it's an absolute pain in the arse to set up for... Correct. Right? But if you look at the IO always gave stability when it when it came to fixed pricing, fixed mm, volumes, mm. Um, agencies knew what they were getting. Um, they tried to transition into PMP environments, and sometimes they were very volatile. Publishers never sent the inventory there because they may have got a better deal via their direct sales teams, and the agencies never committed demand to it because they may have found the inventory elsewhere on another SSP. Um, so those environments were never as good or as strong in some instances as the IO when it came to giving them assurances that they'd deliver out their budgets in full. Um, fast forward to where we are today and programmatic guaranteed really enables those on the buy side and the sell side to get reassurances that A, the agency are going to spend what they said they're going to spend yeah. into the deal and the publisher is going to send the volumes of impressions that they said they would send. So are they so committing to spend against a specific targeted audience? So if they said to uh, publisher, well, publisher A said we're going yeah. to spend a million pounds in the next quarter yeah. if we see this audience... Yeah, there's there's several different flavors, and programmatic guaranteed as a biomechanic is still very much in its evolution stages. Because like, um, I think Google are pushing yeah, this very aggressively. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I mean, again, we we know all of the big holding codes have come out publicly to say they want to transition to be 100% programmatic. Brands want to be um, executed that way when they're deploying their, their budgets because they know there's much more control for them. But again, going back to the volatility of PMPs, that's why everyone now is talking about programmatic guarantee. But to answer your question, Kieran, the different types of flavors and the different buy mechanics, some may say we'll only buy if we see an audience. Others may say we'll only buy if you can guarantee the pricing. Others may say, we'll only buy if you can guarantee the volumes. It's very much dependent on what the KPIs are of the advertiser, the agency, and the SSP that you're buying through. Um, but for us at Unruly at the moment, it's very much around fixed pricing, um, fixed volumes, addressing some of the volatility that historical PMPs have kind of had to make sure that those environments are better placed to capture big brand spends for the publishers that we work with globally. So how do you do, is the programmatic guarantee executed through the DSP then? Uh, is correct, that, yeah. And is so, that happening with you, with, with, with Unruly X? And, and, correct, and, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what shape, are you seeing big volumes? Are, are you seeing big sort of, so I, you, you, you had traditionally a, a, a massive IO business. Are, Which, you, are you seeing that now being transferred across? Yes, we, we, we see that. So um, programmatic guaranteed for us is still a, it's an early uh, mechanic right. that we've um, launched recently. We actually um, released a PR, I think, last week when we um, referenced our U7 project. Um, not too sure. You guys familiar with that? Do you see that? Uh, no. no. This is no. this is your your 
Roundtable. Correct, yeah, the client council. Yeah. So effectively, we've got some of the largest advertisers in the world um, and we're working with them to build out a set of global frameworks um, to tackle some of the opacity and some of the, the practices that currently exist in ad tech. Right. And programmatic guaranteed, we feel, will help transition some of the, the managed bookings that we take yeah. uh, to be executed through the exchanges because we're being asked time and time again from those brands that we work with and from the agencies um, to provide them the environments where they can spend big branding budgets and at a fixed price and at, and at the um, way they want to deliver a fixed amount of impressions. And again, standard PMPs have just been too volatile for them to do that. So we certainly believe that PG will be the catalyst that enables us to capture more brand spend, but via the exchange rather than insertion orders. So do you, in terms of the mechanics then, I mean... Google are pushing it on their side. Is that from a DFP perspective? or Yeah, is- so, so basically the way that um, Google would do it, they've got DBM um, or whatever it's called these days. Um, they set up it, a deal with DBM, is it? Yeah. Google Ad Manager. Correct, yeah. So they effectively do the deal with whoever's licensing DBM, the advertiser or the agency trading desk. Um, if the publisher is on DFP, then it's quite easy for them to fix volumes, fix pricing mm. because the publisher's using the ad server. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're seeing the majority of DSPs now rolling out their programmatic guaranteed betas for the partners that license them. And again, we think going into next year, we're going to see a big uptick in brands and agencies asking to execute in that way because there's a lot of uncertainty around the open exchange at the moment because there's pressure on third-party data sets. Um, PMPs, again, I keep going back to this, but historically have been quite volatile. So we think PG is going to be that real sweet spot that let that lets brands spend big and it lets agencies spend with confidence and it lets publishers forecast better because they know exactly what's coming in from the buy side. Right. And it also enables publishers to um, run that true unified auction. You can figure out whether or not you're going to capture it from your direct sales team um, or from a programmatic demand source. And do you think that's going to be the standard way to buy in the market? Because it's quite interesting. Like if, you, if, you're, not- if you're, flipping a, you're flipping an old I.O base model into yep. this new new sort of data-driven model. Yeah, and that's fundamentally what it is, Kieran. It's not, people think about it as a, as a new um, USP. It's not necessarily a new USP. It's another, it's another delivery mechanism. Right. Um, so programmatic guaranteed is a buy mechanism like a standard biddable PMP is or a open marketplace buying strategy. It's, there, not, it's, b- not, it's not changing anything. It's bringing more stability to what is sometimes a volatile buying environment. Uh, that's interesting. So would that mean that the plan goes away effectively because you you know you the, the skill set around buying on an open basis or a PMP basis is like you've got traders who basically are optimizing towards the KPI right yeah now if you flip the IO business into that mm-hmm. and the, and you have you have your target base and I'm gonna hit these type of users and the Guardian and you uh, the need for having like a third party do that for you like you know no i for me nothing changes it's exactly the same it's if you've got an agency and they're under immense pressure to transition to programmatic execution um programmatic guaranteed enables them to do that they still have to plan the right publishers for their audiences right so um, this is no- more of a brand play than 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 dr is correct it? at the moment yeah because um dr you, there is still a huge element of prospecting right yeah. you don't know what environment is going to work for you yeah. until you found that environment programmatic guaranteed is about right i know 
which publishers resonate with my advertisers' um, KPIs. I've done all my due diligence around audience makeup. Um, the smart people in my agency have done the planning for me. I've now identified my my um, plan. And you go out and broker those deals with the publishers directly if you want to. That's what we're seeing play out. And then the SSPs and the DSPs are just that facilitation layer. So again, it's not... It's not something new. It's not going to disrupt anything. It's just bringing more stability, and it's just another biomechanic. It doesn't replace open marketplaces. doesn't replace PMPs. It's just another evolution of programmatic, and hopefully it brings a little bit more stability, and it opens the floodgates. And control. Correct. For us as a collective industry to start capturing some of those larger brand spends that have historically been traded via the I.O. because... Brands haven't had the confidence that they could deliver it out in full in programmatic. And a prime example of that is tactical spend. Valentine's Day, for instance. Um, big budgets have to spend very quickly. And sometimes they try and deploy that within a PMP. And it and doesn't it, work. And, and it doesn't work. Yeah. The scale's not there. There are teething issues. There are yeah. technical issues. Programmatic guarantee will give them the confidence that they can spend quickly. It's set up and it's been spent in the right environment so they deem appropriate. So they, are, they have a, their own tight white list of income. 100%. And they'll do the deals directly with the publishers. Correct. And it's executed through the mechanics Correct. of ad tech. Yes. Okay. Uh, sometimes ad tech can do the brokering for them, but it depends again what the appetite is from right. those on the okay. buy side. So it's just a, a, a well, you could argue it's a it's a workflow uh, fix as well as just a data uh, uh, targeting hundred percent. Uh, so in terms of where you see the ecosystem going, like because you again you're quite vocal about this. Where do, where do you see? the sort of the companies who are who've been dominant over the last 10 years going like you know so we've just seen app nexus get acquired by um I keep calling them xander uh because xander's actually just the name that came yep. out of them. um at&c you know you've got now you've got all the major um video ssps like spot x or rtl comcast on freewheel yeah um do you see on yourselves owned by news yeah uk do you see a sort of role for independent players in this space still, or or is the case that that it's almost like ad tech is better sort of uh, bolted into a data media play? I think it's going to become increasingly difficult for any vendor that doesn't have access to owned and operated inventory or access to first party data. Um, I think there'll always be a place for independence, and I think we're seeing that play out today with the trade desk. Fantastic business, you know. Obviously, they're they're now public but the point i'm trying to articulate there is that they're not owned by one of the the big motherships and they're doing a fantastic job um but when we go back to the independent ssps and dsps that are still in play what the future holds for those guys is i don't know in reality i think they're going to face increasing headwinds um many have very similar business models um many are under immense pressures when it comes to take rates um so the sustainability of what they do today. I don't know how much longer that can go on for. Um, they've all built fantastic businesses. They all add a lot of value. And I think, in all honesty, many will be acquired within the next 24 months. There are too many publishers out there. There are too many um, broadcasters. There are too many telcos that are looking for assets. And many of the SSPs and DSPs that remain in play today, I think, could help transform some of those businesses overnight. And the entry point to owning those assets at the moment is a uh, is pretty low, right? I mean, you can buy leading SSPs these days for what two hundred and twenty odd million, which yeah. isn't a lot when it comes to ad tech. Mm. Interesting. Um, and, and you think there's there's a few of those? I mean, 
obviously Terry Quadge does his charts and thinks there's big deals happening all the time. But I'm a big a few, TK a, fan. Oh, you love TK. I yeah. do. If yeah. you're listening, I want to sign I'm going to get him on the, we'll get him on the podcast. <laughs> He's definitely going to be a future podcast. Yeah, case. he will definitely. But, but do you think that, because there is some interesting companies still left on the, uh, on, on the, in the ecosystem. And you think about Index and OpenX yeah. and Rubicon and Podmatic. And then you've got, you know, on the, on the video side, you've got Teleria. Yeah. You know, you think the Teleria will end up somewhere itself. Oh, well, like, look, at, you know? look at Netflix. What are they? Are they in the market to buy a DSP? There's been rumors. I mean, there, there are a multitude. Well, uh, of, yeah. But there, there are a multitude of different um, strategics out there yeah. that have an appetite to get into ad tech. They need to, they need to sustain their revenue models. Yeah. They need to look at diversification. Yeah. They need to look at different markets. And ad tech can enable them to do that. And, and, and if, as we just said before, ad-supported content is going nowhere. I mean, no, like, let's be honest with you, it's the currency that pays for ads in, 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 in the, in, in, on the internet. So, yeah, pays for content. Yeah. And we, again, you'll pay, some of them pay, pay some subscriptions for some stuff, but ads will be the way it monetizes. So mm. ad tech still has a huge part to play in that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. And that's why I think, as I said, to sustain those businesses will become increasingly difficult. Um, but I think within 24 months, most, if not all of those guys, would have been acquired. Right. Um, and that's without talking about private equity. I think they'll go to strategics rather than being rolled into yeah. purchases. I think the PE guys, well, they had some success with Marketo, but yeah. Anyway, anyway we're running, we've run we're out finished. of time. We're finished, we've run out of time. Big <laughs> 25 predictions. minutes. Big predictions. What predictions? He made no predictions. Summary of predictions. I haven't asked you yet about TV. Are you still watching linear TV? Every time I talk no. to you here and you tell me TV's dead, but every, every no, time I speak no. to somebody, they tell me it isn't. No, listen, <laughs> listen, that, that, don't get me started on that. Linear TV is dead. It's on his arse. I'm it's not sure the millennials in the office would agree. That is a lot. Listen, the millennials in the office are not watching IT. You're not going home to switch on ITV well, or are. Channel well, 4 they are. or BBC. They're watching, they're watching Love, Love Island. Island. They yeah. were watching yeah, Love Island. Catch up. They're watching all sorts of stuff. On, they're watching all sorts of stuff in a linear uh, fashion. You, listen, yeah. have you guys I been paid by Barb? I'm being chased. <laughs> of course you do. I, I watch EastEnders. I watch, I'm getting chased right. around by Barb. You're, you're part of the Barb cabal, aren't you? You two here are under the Barb payment structure. Kieran, time. I'm right. calling it. Right. right, Kieran Paul, thank you very much for joining us for uh, this session of the Mad Tech Podcast. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll uh, we'll catch you all next week. Thank thanks for much. having thanks for having me, <laughs> and I'll see you next week. I still can't believe there's no beers. Uh. <laughs>